0: I invite you to remain standing for the hearing of God's word. Today we are reading from the first letter of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way— God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. The word of God for the people of God. may be seated. Would you bow your heads with me? God, in the silence of this moment, draw all of our hearts to you. Let this message be yours, and let me not get in the way. Amen. I'm Reverend Abby Maynard, and I am so excited to be here with you. I always love getting to worship with you all, um, and it's a joy to get to preach as well. Um, As we begin this text today, I want to start with maybe the first and most foundational question of uh, faith, which is, who is God? It's an incredibly short question, but it is extremely complicated. Christians for centuries have been debating what it means. And we have not all agreed on who exactly God is and what exactly God is like. When I was in college, I took a class called Concepts of God, which was a really fascinating class. And in the way this class was laid out, we kind of started with the Greeks and we moved throughout the centuries looking at what people had thought about who God was, whether God changes, uh, what God knows, what God can do, whether God forgives, why God forgives, all of these various dis- different aspects and things that make God who God is, and all of these different views and who held them and who came up with them. And there is no agreement. I mean, there is some. But we all have varying different ideas about who God is. I started looking back through some of my notes for that class as I was working on this sermon because as I read this text, I thought it seemed like the answer to who is God should be obvious. At least it seems simple, at least here. God is love. But if that's been laid out, why... Aren't we in agreement? Why can't we get on the same page about things? One of the books that I read for this concepts of God class was called America's Four Gods, and these researchers had created a um, a study to ask people about their beliefs of God, and they decided that from this you could kind of sort Americans into four categories of which type of God they believe in. This is American Christians. And it was all based on how they thought God was judgmental or not, and how, whether God was engaged with us or not. And I thought that was fascinating. So I started looking back through that thinking, maybe one of those fits this text better. Maybe one of them fits this definition. But as I was looking through a lot of them, it didn't seem like any particular one fit best a lot of the things that people talked about were important, but not as related. They were things that didn't have to do with this definition that I had found here. And I think that's largely because our views about God tend to be a lot based on us. And our views about God vary so much because we vary so much. Our experiences are so different. And even throughout our lives, we change. Our ideas about God change. And sometimes, a lot of the time, our ideas about God are a reflection of ourselves. When we are insecure and unsafe, oftentimes we'll crave a God who seems to be in control of every single thing to protect us from any kind of pain that we can't hurt if there is someone else dealing with everything. If we're confused and disagreeing, we may want a God who is clear and accountable and has strict rules so that we don't have to figure things out, we don't have to disagree, we don't have to argue or be confused. But if we aren't careful, we focus on things that we're experiencing and we make God out to be who we want, the one who would make us the most comfortable, rather than really focusing on who God claims to be. So if God is love, what exactly does that mean? It's not to say that any of those other things that God as a protector or one who is accountable or anything like that, it's not to say that those aren't still true, but it's really interesting that the author of John here has made a choice about how to define God and has chosen love. What he's saying is that at the foundation of all the complexity about who God is, all these things that we might disagree with, the real basis, the thing that comes first is love. It is the benchmark for everything else. Love exists in the world because it is part of who God is and thus it is part of God's creation. Love flows from God To us and we are able to love because God first loved us we see that here in verse 7 as it begins our text and again a little bit later in verse 19 with a wording that I think many of us are probably um, even a little bit more familiar with in verse 19 it says we love because he first loved us he first loved us I don't want to move past this point too quickly because I think that it is so important. It is God who loves first. Before we ever reach out, before we question who God is, before we even think to think about God, we are already being loved. This is what we call provenient grace. The grace, the mercy, the love of God that goes before us. Today is Baptism of the Lord Sunday. And this is the grace that we celebrate when we celebrate a baptism. The grace that God has already been offering. And that grace and love have been offered to us since the beginning. No matter what. Whether we deserve it or not. Spoiler, we don't but it is offered no matter what because it is who God is and it is made to make us who we are. And this type of love that God is offering is agape love. That's the word in Greek, agape. And this love is an active one. It is sacrificial and it is seeking. It's the kind that reaches out. It has an impact on the world because it's doing something. It's seeking us when we are not loving or receptive. And it is powerful enough to change that. This love is how we know who God is. It's how we know God. Divine love doesn't just enable us to love others. It models for us how to do it. In this text, it talks about that God's example for love was through Jesus. In the abstract, the hypothetical, the idea of a deity sending their only child to the world seems like it would be met with joy and celebration and awe and respect and obedience that everyone would be thrilled and everyone would just be so happy. But we know that that's not what happened with Jesus. Jesus. Instead, this deity comes to earth, takes human form, and from the very beginning is met with threats. He is met with anger from strangers and loved ones alike, even in his own hometown. And in the end, he is betrayed even by his closest friends. He experienced human pain and suffering despite having never deserved it, never sinned. And yet he died so that we could live. God gives us divine love. Jesus shows us how we're supposed to use it. This is the standard that he sets for what love ought to look like. It is supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to be... It's supposed to be unfair. Because that's the truth, that the love that we have been given is unfair. We don't deserve it. And so we are called to share it just as we have been given it. Now I want to take a quick turn because... Jesus is our standard for what love is supposed to be like. But for most of us, that's not how we first know love. Most of us, our first awareness of what love is, our first lessons on how to love and be loved come from the people around us, usually our family, our friends, those who take care of us. They are the ones who model love for us first. Like several members of our church staff, I have worked with Ozark Mission Project over the years. And one of the activities that we have always done and that I love with the kids um, when we're at camp is that we gather up before worship and we do this thing called sharing. And sometimes it is amazing and sometimes it is chaos. And like anything with kids, you never know which one it's gonna be. But I love it because usually you can get them, even if it starts chaotic, you can get them kind of corralled into answering the question that we've all come for, which is a very serious one. We all get together and we ask, where have you seen God today? Now, that's a hard question for adults. It takes a lot of attention to try and pay and see all those things, see where God is working in our lives and so sometimes it is hard, really hard for teenagers too. Fair. And sometimes we get silly answers like the people who bring Sonic. Or sometimes it's the, the weather, that breeze was just where I saw God today. But every single time, without fail, every single night, the kids talk about people. People. People are where they have seen God. And they're beautiful. They talk about it and it touches your soul. They talk about seeing God in each other when they help each other, when one of them is struggling on the job site or with a game or just with something personal. They see God in their leaders. Who take an interest in them and offer them advice, who sit with them and just care about them. And you would think at a mission project where you're going to serve and, and do things for people that, that those people you're serving would see God in you, and, and hopefully they do, but friends, those kids always see God in their neighbors too, the people that they are serving. Because when they look face to face and they relate to those folks, they see God's love in them. Just as we see God's love in other people, and we can, if we pay attention, we can see it in everyone. Just as we can see it in other people, we can be bearers of God's love for others. And it's not just that we can We need to. This is an essential part of what it means to experience God's love, is to share it. We can't truly know God if we don't love our neighbors. Every commentary, every study, anything that I read about this text when I was preparing for this sermon, they were all worried about the same pitfall. So I want to prepare you so that we don't all make this mistake together. They really wanted to make sure that this wasn't just about us loving God and knowing that we were loved by God. And I think that's a fair point. We do need to love God. We need to have that relationship and we need to know that we are loved. But if it stops right there, it's not agape. It's not the love that we're being called to here. If we stop at that us and God, that individual, we fail to be active in that love. We fail to really live into it. This agape love that we're called to is supposed to be offered to those who do not seem loving to us, who do not seem deserving to us, because that's exactly what God does for us. Love is how we share who God is with others in the most faithful way possible. There are people who hate Christianity because the only experience they have with it is having it shoved down their throat because people told them things were a certain way and this was how they had to be. But the truth is that we've really never needed to beat anyone over the head with religion or theology because we were always supposed to witness By loving, by practicing God's love, we show God to others. Now I want, before we end this, to take a second and look at the end of this text, because I think it is beautiful and it's essential. Verse 12 says, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. Most of us would say that we could never be perfect by God's standards, at least in this life, and generally I'd be inclined to agree. But love is kind of a special category in this case, because it's true that we cannot ever be perfect by human standards standards or at human things. If we tried to be perfect in whatever standards that we set, we're still going to fail. But love that comes from God is not about us. And it can be much more. As United Methodists, we love to talk about grace. We've even distinguished the three different forms of it and given them names like we're scientists. I mentioned provenient grace earlier. That's usually the first one that we talk about. It's the love that seeks and goes before us. But the last type of grace is what's happening in this verse. This last type is what we call sanctifying or perfecting grace. Now, this grace doesn't make us perfect in every aspect. I wish it did, that would be amazing. But what it does is move us steadily on toward perfection and love. This is the grace that works in us. It is God working in us toward perfection in how we love God, how we love our neighbors, and how we love self. That perfection in love is possible because the love is not human, it is divine. This is the exact kind of goal that we should want and can have. Hopefully, in the next couple of years, Daniel and I will get to be ordained, and in that process, when we get to there, they will ask us some important questions. And one of the hardest that they ask all of the ordinands as they're getting ready is, do you believe that you are going on toward perfection in this life? That's a hard question to say yes to. Because it's hard for me, at very least, to believe that I could ever be perfect in this life. But when that day comes, I'm going to say yes. Because that perfection is through God. That perfection is in God's love. It's just me getting to be part of it. The only way, though... That we can ever seek that perfection, and we can only get there through God. The only way to do this is to love without holding anything back. We are called to love those whom we disagree with, to love those who have less than us, those who we think have made some bad choices, and those who are unkind, those who treat us poorly. We're called to love particularly when we don't want to, when we're uncomfortable. But friends, it's in doing this that we can fully participate in what it means to know God and to love like God. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful that you loved and created us and that you made us in your image of one who loves. Help us now, as we go from this space, to carry that message with us and to remember that your love is never confined to a time, a space, or an attitude. Amen.